Welcome to the Going Somewhere podcast, a podcast for anyone who finds themselves in the ambiguous adventure of young adulthood, a season marked by uncertainty, change, love, heartbreak, and a whole lot of big decisions. Sit down with me for some real and raw conversations with some incredible people as we dig into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in this beautiful yet complicated season of life. If this podcast helps you in any way, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with friends. Be sure to join the conversation on Instagram by following goingsomewhere.podcast. We're all going somewhere. We might as well go there together. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Going Somewhere podcast. Today, I'm joined by Christy Galtier, and she is here to talk about the Enneagram and all things emotional health. And so we're so excited to have you here. Welcome, Christy. Thank you. So excited to be with you. Oh, absolutely. I am looking forward to it. I know the Enneagram is a big deal, and a lot of people are curious about it. And they the conversations that I have around it are really life-giving and really exciting. So I'm just pumped for you to be on the podcast. Um, do you mind just giving us a little bit of background on who you are, uh, what you and your husband do together? Oh, sure. Well, I'm a, a fellow Jesus follower, most of all, and on the journey with each of you, a little bit ahead of most of you now. <laughs> My husband and I started a ministry called Soul Shepherding. And it's a ministry where we train spiritual directors and coaches. We also really help people to become emotionally and spiritually healthy. Our background is we both have our doctorates in psychology and we are spiritual directors and we have been pastors in the church and we have raised a family. And so we have along the way through our own pain, our own pain points, our own mistakes and sins and failures and God's redemptive grace. And we've learned so much and it's just our joy to be able to journey with others and overflow from the grace of God and his wisdom in our lives. So that's what we get to do. That's what we love to do. We do that through providing really helpful tools and practical resources. We do that through retreats where people could come away in an immersive experiences. And we do that also through care as we have a team of over 40 spiritual directors and coaches that we've raised up that meet with people, provide help and spiritual direction and coaching online over zoom. You can go online to our website and book and talk with somebody right away on zoom. It just provides a safe place or a learning space or somebody to companion people. Oh, that is awesome. That's amazing. So you, you talked that you were in ministry for a while. So what kind of made you go this route and, and how long ago yes. was, was that? Well, in college, I actually studied psychology with the desire and the calling to ministry. So right out of college, my first job was college pastor. And wow. that was being thrown right into the fire. It was at a mega church. It was our first year of marriage. And I was earning my doctorate in psychology at the same time. My husband and I were co-pastoring <laughs> in that position because he was getting his PhD in psychology. And we learned a lot and we learned through failure. We only lasted a year in that position because it was it was a lot of work and we were over our heads. And we burned out, basically. We were doing too much. So that was a good and important learning for us, but we didn't give up on ministry in that. We've continued to be called to ministry in different forms, church planning, spiritual formation pastor. We did dabbled in and out all at the same time, private practice and raising a family. And then 20 years ago, 
put all of that aside to start the Ministry of Soul Shepherding, where it kind of brings everything we learned in the process and all the redemptive work that God did. But God was raising us up, training us through our own experiences, our own failures, our own roadblocks. And then through that, out of our own desperation, seeking, leaning in more, learning more, receiving healing and restoration. Wow. That's, that's so cool. I think, um, you know, as podcasts of mainly young adult listeners, people in their early twenties, uh, late teens, early thirties, I think one of the special things is, um, when we have people that are seasoned and out of that season that come back and, and share with us. And so, uh, I just am so excited that you're here because I think we all, I think want a picture of, all right, what does health look like down the road and how can I walk that and how can I learn from other people's challenges and mistakes and successes? So, um, this is really fun just to have you on. And uh, I, I really want to dive into some of the stuff about the Enneagram because, you know, I, I'm most likely an Enneagram eight. And so I'm trying to navigate my world of that and what that means. But do you mind just kind of giving just an overview of the Enneagram and just kind of why you feel that it's such an important tool? Oh, would love to. It's a tool that I didn't have when I was the age of most of you in this community. And I (laughs) wish I did. So I'm so happy for you to have it. You know, personality often is understood and talked about in some of the other personality type indicators, strengths, finders, Myers-Briggs and those others, as if it's your strength to lean into. And if it's all good and let's just celebrate it and be happy about it. And certainly there is a lot in our personality that is God given, God formed, that we celebrate, that we want to understand, that we want to grow in those strengths. But the Enneagram has something unique about it. And that's that it's based on our root sin. And so the Neogram is a powerful tool if we come to understand it and use it that way as actually a tool for growth spiritually and emotionally in health. Because what it does is it discloses as we are willing to let down our defense mechanisms and open our soul to God's God's touch and get emotionally honest and, and raw is it will actually expose some of our unconscious root sins and defense mechanisms. And because of this, it's a very powerful tool that can be used for good or for harm. And because of this, it's a, it takes a lot of courage to really engage with it as a, a tool for our formation in Christ and our, our transformation. But the other thing that the Enneagram is, is it's a powerful tool for empathy, for understanding others and a powerful tool for discipleship in terms of Jesus's greatest command to us, to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It helps us do that. And to love our neighbor as ourself. It helps us do that because it gives us empathy and, and a lens to understand our neighbor who's a different type than us, but also as ourselves to receive more of God's love, which we love because he first loved us. So it's a great tool for that. It can be rightly used. It can be misused. That's, that's a good point to make. And I think, um, you know, talking about the connection between emotional health and spiritual health and, you know, cause I think that that sometimes is maybe somebody's thought when the Enneagram is talked about is that they do, maybe they've heard that it's a negative tool or something that Christians shouldn't engage in, but do you mind just kind of talking about your perspective as a follower of Jesus, as somebody in ministry that uses this tool and have seen so many people impacted by it? Yes. Like Paul's words, everything is permissible. Not everything is profitable. And as we look at this, kind of what we like to do with the Neogram is 
look at the parts of it that are congruent with God's truth, which is most of it. And it's an open theory. Lots of people have spoken into it. Lots of people use it. Like the internet, it can be used for good. It can be used <laughs> for evil, like our iPhones or our, our, our cell phones. It, it's a tool. And in the tool is a lot of opportunity for grace, a lot of goodness, a lot of power, but also some opportunity to be misused. And so we just want to be wise in how we use it in that way. What we say is we chew the meat, we spit out the bones. And that, right. that's the way we look at it. That's the way we use it. And as we have, we have found great fruit spiritually and emotionally. It has helped us to be healthy in our feelings and really grow spiritually in our faith, our trust with Jesus. And that's one of the things that we do in, in our book. One of the key things that why we wrote it in the grand book, even though there's so many, is because we wanted this book to enthrall the reader with Jesus to see Jesus as the perfection of each of our types and to really help us see how we can grow to be more like him and also to be able to understand our roots and not to shame us at all, not to, to get us to feel stuck or ashamed or hiding or dependent upon our defense methods, but to be able to receive more of his grace and more of his freedom to overcome. That's so good. Um, you know, you talk a little bit about just the four core emotions and, or the eight core emotions and just how that plays in, um, just from the hurting side, the healthy side. Uh, do you mind just kind of talking about that for a, for a little bit? Yes, I'd love to. So within Negram nine types, there are three basic emotional postures or core emotions that we have. So if you're an Enneagram eight, you would be in the gut triad, the eight, the nines and the ones are in the gut triad. So the core emotion there is anger. It looks a little different in those numbers for the eighth anger is more direct for the nine. It's more passive aggressive, passive aggressive or repressed. And for the one it's more in the form of resentment. And then for the, um, See, we did eight, nine, one, the two, three, and four are the heart types and their, their primary emotion, core emotion, they struggle with is shame. And that can look a little bit different for the two, for the three, and for the four as well. It gets expressed differently, but it's all based on trying to overcome or hide or defense against the shame. And then the five, six, and seven are the head triad. Their core emotion is anxiety. Their defensive mm. posture, their personality is formed to try to protect them and defend against anxiety. These are the, the core emotions. And we find that emotions actually stack under each other. So we have a different emotion that we go to in stress, which is usually the number that our type goes to in stress. So each type has a map of where they go towards growth or towards stress, which is also unique and, and really special about the Enneagram as well. So if we look at our map, so here's the map for the type three, the type three might have a wing, which is why the numbers on either side are bigger. They might have developed one of those wings. We usually develop one wing in the first half of our life and the other in our second half of okay. life. And then in stress, the three goes to the nine. So you can see the nine's a little bigger here. So the three struggles with shame is their basic posture of emotion. But in stress, they go to the nine with the anger. And then in health, they go more towards the six. So their emotions will stack more with the felt shame, the anger when they're in stress. And then the anxiety also at times will manifest, but it'll manifest the least for them. They're going to they're gonna experience shame and anger as a defense against the shame 
before the anxiety, but we want to get in touch with where our emotions are stacking. And then we want to get in touch with what's the sadness under that, because usually those core emotions are defensive emotion, trying to protect us from a core hurt, loss, need, or grief. Wow. I, I feel like some of this stuff has been just something that I've kind of grazed the surface on, you know, with, with the Enneagram, it's kind of one of those things that it kind of became popular and it's like, Oh, what am I, you know? And right. just to really understand some of those core things, um, you know, how, how can understanding the Enneagram kind of take us from those unhealthy things and those root things and bring us to health, um, just from even maybe just the emotional health side and then the spiritual side as well. Yeah. Well, learning your type is, is part of that process. So you're on your way. When you just start to engage with it, you start to identify your type and learn your type. You start to begin to understand more about your type. So one of the things we do in our book, Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith, is we, we talk about some of the features for each type, like family formation and the role that is played in the formation of your type, the, the, your basic felt need in your type, it's different for each of the nine types. Or like I mentioned, your root sin, your main defense mechanism, it's different for each type. Becoming and growing aware of these things, your core hurt, your stress emotion. For each type, we identify an emotional alarm, something that we need to really learn to pay attention to because what it means is that we are probably depending upon ourselves instead of Jesus at the time. Mm. And we're probably gonna get charmed by our personality and lean upon our personality for trying to get what we want instead of leaning into Jesus for what he has for us, which is what we really need. So we have lots of ideas of key soul care practices for each of the types we also talk about because there's a unique spiritual disciplines and soul practices that we each might be invited to engage in by the Lord because it will help us to grow in our health emotionally and spiritually. There's positive emotions we need to nurture that are different for each of the type. We have examples of, of a Bible hero from each of the type, as well as Jesus as the perfection of each type and Jesus' empathy for you, each type, because we all need that. And so those are wow. some of the things that we can engage with deeper that we're bringing to you in the Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith book. Amazing. What What is... Can you just kind of give an overview of some of the soul care for each of the types? Because I think as people are listening, um, you know, they're thinking about their type and they're thinking about right. what that is. And obviously yeah. my, my encouragement is read the book and, you know, take a look at their, uh, your guys' amazing resources, but can you just kind of give that overview yeah. of each type and kind of what are the soul care things that, that we can do? Maybe even just touch on maybe some of those core things of each type to help people kind yeah. of get that broad understanding. Well, it's too much to do it all in this podcast, but yeah. let's do this. Let's start with eight since you okay, yes. that might be what you are. Yes. And absolutely. you can see if you relate and if it's helpful. So um, for the eight, we identify the eight often as the challenger and you, you would have a felt need as an eight to act with power. And that would be, so in, uh, in that you might find yourself with a defense mechanism of denying your needs. And you might find yourself toughening up to protect against vulnerability because vulnerability feels powerless. And so one of the things that would be very important 
as a key soul care practice for an Enneagram 8 would be what you're doing right now. And that's practicing spiritual friendship. We actually are engaging in conversations like this to talk about your spiritual life, your emotional health, and to gauge in growth. So you, this is awesome because that's what you're doing in this podcast and in this community, in these conversations. And that's what you're, you're encouraging other people to do is engage in these topics of spiritual friendship and going somewhere together. So I love that you, you intuitively are following the Holy Spirit's leading in that one of the things of the, the Bible heroes is Deborah and the way that she used her power for good. She took courage to use it for good, but she was willing to be vulnerable in that as well. And that that's really what the Negram eight needs is to lean into that vulnerability, learning to be emotionally honest to the point that it feels a little bit scary <laughs> to open your soul to that level. But as you open your soul, what an Enneagram 8 especially might be prone to do is to defend against and deny their need for empathy um, because that feels vulnerable. But you need Jesus' empathy for you. You need to be able to receive and understand that Jesus cares and sees and knows your deepest needs and longings and hurts. And it's not all up to you to get what you need or what you want or to have, have all the resources that you need. Um, and then as you're receiving his empathy for you, his grace at a deeper level for you and through other people, letting them minister to you, you grow in, in health of being able to go towards that healthy too, of expressing mercy and empathy and help and champion others in their needs. Awesome. That's really helpful. I think, you know, it, it was one of those things that was stumbled into, but, you know, as you were talking, um, you know, about the challenger and stuff, I think the people that are listening that know me well, and, you know, those are the things that, that my friends have helped me kind of self become self-aware in those things. And, um, you know, counseling is something that I started a couple of years ago and it was kind of at a point where there was an area that I really wanted to address, but it just kind of opened up just to God really doing some incredible things in my heart that I didn't know I needed. And, um, and so having just this baseline understanding even, and the few podcasts I've listened to or whatever has kind of helped me in that. And one of the things that I feel like it's helped me in a ton and, and you guys talk about it is relating to other people. And so, mm -hmm. um, how can the Enneagrams and just understanding that, whether it's about a spouse, a child, um, uh, a friend, a coworker, how can that help engage with them in a more healthy way? Oh, such a good question. And this is, this is what Jesus calls us to in terms of loving our neighbor. And that starts with our being curious about them, to understand them, to know them, to listen to them and to learn about their needs, because we are also different. And what we tend to do is we tend to project what we want, need, think onto other people and assume it's the same for them. But it's not because we're so uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully made. And even within the nine types, there's really more types because there's subtypes of each type. So there's three different subtypes of each type. There's nuances, there's different wings, there's different levels of growth of health within the Enneagram in terms of how much of this work that you've done in your spiritual and emotional growth. So there's a lot of variety, but still understanding these basic core emotions and needs and pain points and longings and the emotional alarms all can help us 
to love. And one of the things that, that we very much empathize is emphasize is the importance of empathy, of really coming to understand what is it like to be this person who I'm in relationships type. So my husband, he's an Enneagram one, I'm an Enneagram two. And so he sees things differently. He's all about wanting to be good. He's all about wanting things to be perfect and, and well-ordered and to, to make a difference and to bring, bring reform. And so when he's working really, really, really hard, and I am tempted in my Enneagram tunas to feel like he doesn't want me, he cares more about his work than me, it helps me to reframe and remember, oh no, no, he's been driven by the, what do I know about the ones? This is what's driving him. It's, this isn't about me. I don't, I, I don't need to take this personally and react in defensiveness. I can actually pray for him because I see how hard he's striving or how hard he's working or how he's under the lie of the enemy that's afflicting him. And so it can really form my prayers for him. It can form my empathy for him because as I come to understand his type, it gives me words and language that I can actually use to check out if if I am empathizing with him accurately. And when I do that, he feels so loved. He's like, oh, she gets it. She understands. And it also wakes him up to his personality, to his emotional alarm that, you know, he is depending too much as, as an Enneagram one personal obligation is his emotional alarm. So it can wake him up to thinking, oh, I, I think this is all up to me and I have to I have to do this. And if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. And it helps him to realize when I can empathize with him and say, you know, there's people that would help you if you let them. And I was going, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, I thought it was all on me because that's the earnest one tends to think it's all up to them. So as, as you come to understand these unique temptations, these unique emotional alarms and needs and and lies of the enemy and root sins, it, it helps you to love them well, to empathize with them well, to see the world through their, the glasses with which they're looking through and interpreting and perceiving. It helps you to be a more effective ambassador of Christ. Well, I love that. Them. I love that. Yeah, another and example would be my daughter. I remember uh, she's an Enneagram seven and I, I didn't understand as a parent why she was never content, why she always wanted more. And I found myself judging her until I came to understand she was a seven and then went from judgment to empathy. And it really changed that dynamic of understanding, wow, what would that feel like to feel discontent? Like you never had enough. You could never have enough fun. What would it feel like to actually feel the need to avoid pain? Wow. And okay. That's why she does that. And it, mm. it gave me empathy for her and understanding for her helped me to love her better. That's really helpful. And I feel almost selfish asking this, but my wife is a nine. And so ah. just how, how can I better engage by understanding her in that realm, especially coming from the position of an eight? Good. Such a loving and good question. So yes, an Enneagram nine, their emotional alarm is accommodating others. Because the lie that they're susceptible to is that their presence doesn't matter. Hmm. And so because they think that they don't matter, they will over-accommodate. They'll even lose themselves merging with someone close to them because the felt need, what they're so seeking the most is peace and harmony in relationship. 
And so all of their personalities bent toward trying to maintain and keep that peace, but they can lose themselves in the process. And this is where it, it, they can develop anxiety if there's conflict in a relationship or if the peace isn't there. This is where they can develop anger and resentment and some passive aggressiveness because they don't know how to assert or insert themselves. They don't know how to, they know how to advocate for you and make space for you, but it's very hard for them to mm. hold on to their sense of self at the same time. So understanding that and really knowing, wait a second, I need to be really intentional as the, her husband to look for her needs, to ask her what she feels, to tune to, attune to her, because it's going to be She's going to be unconsciously so attuned to me and so empathetic to me and so making space for me and my needs. Uh, and, and what they'll often do is they'll fall asleep to themselves or just shut down to themselves and their own needs and then lose that connection. But the connection is what they want and long for the most. So is you can help them to engage with you and to help them know that they're seen, they matter, they're wanted, their value, then they can wake up to bring their value. And that, that could be a great gift to help them engage the, the positive emotion that the nines need to nurture is aliveness mm -hmm. activation. And you can help them call them in to a relationship and engagement and bring you their gifts because they have great gifts to bring. We have a lot of Enneagram nines that come to us in soul shepherding to be trained as spiritual directors. They make tremendous spiritual directors because they do have a great ability to empathize with everybody and see uh, all, and understand people at very different polar realities and viewpoints. It's a real gift that nines have. Yeah. And I, I see a lot of that I hear in my wife and, you know, and, and also a number of years ago, we had a conflict where I, it, she wanted a certain job that there was kind of a job offer and it financially, it, it wasn't like a big jump. It actually didn't make a ton of sense, but, and I kind of started to make those rational decisions and kind of started to take charge. And eventually she just kind of said, you know, I, I'm unhappy in my current job and I think this would be a great opportunity. And it was kind of like a light switch of like, she was so used to kind of supporting me and helping me. And, and it kind of felt like a turning point. And even without understanding it, I think that was kind of a day where we kind of started to grasp and understand those differences um, in, in that. And so hearing what you said, which is like, man, I'm thinking of multiple things that, that kind of remind me of, wow, this is a huge factor in so many things. What, what's the biblical hero for the number nine? Abigail. So you remember here, Abigail was, she was a great advocate and peacemaker between Nabal and David in their conflict. Right. And you see her acting with such wisdom in negotiating that peace in that conflict and her, her generosity in that. And so she was healthy and being activated to take courage to enter in. And she actually, you know, saved. Uh, it was a very courageous act for her to do that. But then you see the beauty and the virtue of her as a peacemaker there. Wow. That's so cool. I, of a healthy nine. I think that's such a fun, fun aspect to it. I think um, for people to, to have a picture and to have an understanding of somebody else that it, it was positive, it was healthy, um, is a really cool thing that I, I think a lot of people will enjoy about your book and enjoy about your guys' resources. Um, I wanted to talk about something that we kind of jumped into earlier, but 
the discipleship piece and just our discipleship to Jesus and how this tool can be used to help us become more like Jesus, to help us love him more um, and follow him more closely. Oh, so good. Thank you. One of the things is just as we talked about the core emotions, for those that are the gut types that are really struggling with anger, one of the things we write about in the chapter on anger is that Jesus is your anger mediator and how Jesus is there. He's the one that says, vengeance is mine. Uh, we don't need to over-identify with our anger or what we can do, which is one expression is, as the gut types tend to over-identify with, I am what I do mm-hmm. and put too much emphasis on our doing and instead finding our identity in Christ and not what I do and not denying our core hurt, but being able to really uh, wake up to our anger, express it, bring it to Jesus, entrust it to him, find our identity in him. For the hard types, we will tend to over-identify with what people think about us and get a distortion of our identity based on what people think about us instead of what Jesus thinks about us. So wow, in yeah. our discipleship to come to understand that our identity isn't based on that. For the twos, they tend to try to help people in order to make people feel good about them to find their identity and, and being helpful. The threes do it in terms of achievement and success and impressing, uh, performing, but Jesus doesn't look to us to do those things, to value us and to find our identity or to free us from shame. The fours try to be unique, to feel special, um, but no, we are all special to Jesus. And as we find our identity in him, we come to learn that Jesus is our shame taker. And so Jesus is the perfect example of empathy. God's empathy is expressed in Jesus. This is the incarnation, right? God himself becoming human to experience every temptation, hurt, need, pain, sin that we did in terms of being sinned against. Jesus, he he bore abuse, rejection, betrayal, shame, and yet he did it all in love and he is our shame taker. So we talk about that, write about that in the book. And then for the head types who over-identify with I am what I have, and they're always trying to get, get more resources. The fives are trying to get more knowledge to feel secure. The sixes are trying to busy brain planning for what could go wrong to try to secure themselves and and get freedom from that anxiety. And the sevens are always trying to get more pleasure and more fun to distract and avoid pain. But no, Jesus says, I am all that you need. I am your anxiety bearer. So these are some of the examples of what we write about in the book as well. And as we learn most of all, that under those emotions and struggles, and we get in touch and we take our sadness, which is that underlying basic emotion to Jesus, we find that he is our sadness comforter. And we look at Jesus, how he cares and he has such so much empathy for us and our emotions. And example, this would even be in Luke seven, where Jesus sees the widow of name and here she is vulnerable in her day because she's lost her husband and now her son. And he happens upon just in his travels, he happens upon her son's funeral and he has empathy for her as a woman in the culture. She's lost the two men. She has no identity apart from men in that day. She's vulnerable. And he comforts her and he acts with his power to raise her son from the dead. But Jesus is that high priest in Hebrews 4, 15, that we we read about, that we do not have a high priest who is 
uncompassionate with us, but one who is able to empathize with our weaknesses, one who's been tempted and tried in every way, just as we are, but he didn't sin. And so he is the one that's leading us into greater redemption in our type. And that looks a little bit different. It's tailored for each of us. And so we lay that out in Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith, that unique discipleship pathway for us with our unique temptations and sins and bents based on our personality. Wow. That's, that's so good. And, um, I think for young adults, just as you were talking about just the discipleship aspect of that and, and those factors for each of, of us and whether our personality or identity and how it can, um, this, you know, the Enneagram can be used to draw us closer to Jesus. But I think it's such a, for our listeners, there's such a desire to follow Jesus, but also a cloudiness because of you know, the, the world around us and, um, emotional health, obviously there's studies that show that, um, mental health crisis is, is at an all time high in, in this age group. And so do you mind just kind of speaking to that, just a kind of a message of hope and encouragement to, to the young adults, to those that are kind of finding themselves in this mess of mental health, emotional health, yet hope in Jesus. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Well, definitely. I just, I just want to acknowledge that one of the things that's, that's good is the awareness of the need for help. That's a grace. And I, I want to just say that, that there is hope in that awareness yes. that I need help and hope that motivates you towards getting resources like healthy feelings, thriving faith, hope of realizing in our, in our previous book that my husband and I co-authored that Revelle published two years ago, Journey of the Soul, we talk about hope and deconstruction and how we, when we hit a wall in our faith and we mm. hit doubt and we hit pain and uh, we have a, a blowout in, in sin or we, we run into a faith crisis or spiritual burnout where nothing feels life-giving anymore, that actually that's a grace because there's, there's hope for us there. That's part of our journey. And that's part of what we address, address in that book. And so whatever you are dealing with in your own life in terms of pain, brokenness, sin, there is hope for you. Jesus is with you. He will not abandon you or forsake you. And his people, his church are here to support you, to journey with you, to love you, to mediate his grace to you. You know, we need an ambassador of Christ. We need someone with skin on who has journeyed through these kinds of walls, these kinds of struggles, these kinds of pains, these kinds of experiences, these kinds of mental health struggles and depressions and hopelessness and anxiety and insecurity and have come out the other side, really thriving, really confident of God's goodness and his love personally. And that's, that's nothing is wasted. That's the thing that I want to say to you, whatever age and stage you're in in your life none of this is wasted as we learn to lean into the trials in our life as they're a part of our discipleship they're a part of us because we are as our mentor Dallas Willard says we're unceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe so everything we do in this life is training as Revelations 21 says it's training for ruling and reigning with Christ in eternity None of it's wasted. It all matters. So don't give up. Don't lose heart. 
we, we you might need a trail angel and that's that's what we are soul shepherds that's why soul shepherding exists is to to journey with you to provide the resources that you need the strength the encouragement the prayer the spiritual emotional help practical tools so that you can continue on the journey and grow and someday you'll be a wounded healer you'll be in my position where you're able to be the one leading mentoring guiding other people well, thanks for that encouragement. I think a lot of people are going to rewind that and listen again and again, because I Good. think just your voice and just your message is so hope filled. And, um, just, I just love it so much. But one of the questions I ask every guest is, uh, if you could go back and have a conversation with the 22 year old version of you, uh, what advice would you give them? Well, I would, what I would do is I would say, do the work now. Um, and one of the reasons I would is because I was doing the work then I was doing a lot of painful work and in therapy. Now, part of that was because it was required of me in my training and getting my doctorate in psychology. I had to be in therapy and in group therapy. I had to be doing the work of right. looking, but I also would say, don't be so afraid to engage with some of these helps. Um, when I first learned about the Enneagram, which was in my late twenties, it scared me. I kind of, thought, I don't know about that. That looks kind of like, astrological or new age or I don't know if I want to trust that, that I was too afraid. I was too defended to engage with it then. Hmm. And I regret that. I wish I had engaged with it sooner. I didn't engage with it until many years later. And it has been, it has been the most helpful, powerful tool for me in terms of really revealing some of these things that I was most defended against. So I would say, do that work now, take courage now, lean in, Get help now. Don't let shame bully you into hiding or fear bully you into hiding or anger bully you into defensiveness, but take Jesus's hands and lean in now. I wish I'd done that more, but I'm glad for the extent I did do it. It paid off. Oh, I love that. I love that. Thanks so much. This has been so encouraging. You are such an encouragement. I know I'm so excited for people to get your new book uh, with your husband, Bill, um, Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith. Can you just tell us a little bit of where you can get the book? And and I know you also showed me your other resource, the Enneagram map resource. So do you mind just sharing where we can get those at? Yes, for sure. Well, Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith, anywhere, Amazon, Target, wherever you buy books. Uh, you can also get it at our website, soulshepherding.org. That's the only place you can get your Enneagram map, which is the one that has fun coaching tools. It has the T-charts that kind of help you if you're having trouble discerning or, or somebody else that you're in relationship with and you're wanting to understand them and you're not quite sure and you're journeying with them. This is a great coaching tool for ministers, pastors, therapists, spiritual directors to use working with people on their Enneagram. We use this a lot with church staffs and training, um, just very practical, but we also have a video course for people that like to learn that way. And you can get our video course. It's an e-course and it is on soulshepherding.org that that's available right now. We have a special pre-order bonus on that uh, where you get a discount if you get the book and that. And then also just, we have some free resources at soulshepherding.org slash Enneagram. And one of the things that we have free is an assessment. If you don't know your type or you're in conversation with somebody that doesn't know your type, or sometimes as a staff, as a team at work, people are going there together to take it and then sharing their assessments and having just great deep conversations about your scores. Um, You don't find your type through an assessment. 
it's it's one source of information, right? But it's dependent upon how you answer those questions and how honest you're able to be and how well you know yourself. But it's a great tool, and it, it's it's a part of the journey. It can be very helpful in that. Reading about your type is going to be more helpful. Asking people questions, taking courage, people that really know you well. I know the Enneagram. That's going to be helpful too. We have Enneagram coaches that can help you understand your type, find your type. Uh, understand how your type can grow more spiritually healthy or your type at work or ministry or family. So we've got all kinds of resources to help you. Soulshepherding.org forward slash Enneagram is where you can find all of those. The book is the the easiest, simplest way just to, to start and refer back. And that's Healthy Feelings, Striving Faith, available wherever books are sold. Awesome. We'll make sure to link all that in the the bio as well and in the show notes so people can make sure to get their hands on all that. I just appreciate your just genuine love for Jesus and genuine love for people. It is so evident um, to me and to our listeners, just your care for people and just your um, your approach to this is is, uh, so refreshing. So I loved having you on. Thanks so much, Christy. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you to each of your listeners for joining and for following Jesus. It's just a joy to be part of your journey, a real privilege. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, listeners, we'll see you again next time on the Going Somewhere podcast.